0: All through the Scripture, we have these phrases in which God says, I am, and the, the, it fills in the blank at the end. I quoted the Scripture yesterday that said, I, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I know we don't ever have classroom participation during the sermon. But if you had to fill in that blank, what would you say? I'm, I'm giving you permission to speak out loud in church. God says, I am god says i am the good shepherd i am the bright and morning star i am the the light i am the light of the world jesus said i am the one and only god i didn't mean to ask that as a question i am the one and only god What? He is the I am. That is his name, actually. Yes. He is always. I am always. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am savior. Oh, I'm going to come back to that one today. I am healer. Y'all gonna have to talk louder. I'm, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. I am the true vine. Yes. I am Redeemer. I am everlasting. I said that yesterday too at a funeral. What? I am Messiah, the anointed one, yes. I am shepherd. I am a consuming fire. I am king of kings. I am Lord of Lords. Oh, we're going to get on a roll here in a minute. I am the Prince of Peace. I am everlasting. I am a rock. I am your refuge. One of the things that God is, is He is Savior. And I want you to know this morning that when He saves us, His salvation is complete. And what I mean by that is he comes to deal with the sin in our lives completely. I want you to understand this morning that of all we've talked about from Paul's letter to the Romans, as he wrote to them what it means to be saved, what is salvation. And if you're just now getting here, uh, Paul writes Romans, he's never been to Rome, but there's a church there. Paul doesn't know that he's ever going to get there because of the circumstances in his life of being imprisoned, but he wanted to delineate what the gospel was. He wanted to make sure that they knew what the basics were, and that was about salvation. I thought, what an incredible statement that we have to walk through, particularly in these days, the first eight chapters of Romans, to say, what does the great apostle Paul say of what it means to be saved? That we might might experience it, that we might know it, and that we might tell it. And we've come to a point that I want you to understand that when God comes to save us, so great a salvation, that salvation not only deals uh, with the guilt of our sin and not only deals with us getting to heaven, Uh, Jackie, next Sunday, I don't mean to call you out in church, Jackie. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about heaven, all right? And we're going to talk about being glorified because part of salvation is that when we die here, there is some place that is beyond our wildest imagination. And the scripture invariably uses the term glory that we will be glorified. So I, I want you to know next Sunday, if you hang with us, we're going to end up in heaven, all right? Um... I know we've been through some other things, Uh, (laughs) but um, we've been dealing with our sin. But there's something between our conversion in which God takes care of the penalty of our sin and the time in which we pass from this world and we end up in glory. There's something in between there that God doesn't just leave us. There is a work that God wants to do between conversion and heaven or what I would describe today as between justification and glorification. And it is the term, and actually Paul doesn't use this in Romans, but it is the word sanctification. Charles Haddon Spurgeon in his book, and this little book spurred this whole uh, series of sermons. Charles Haddon Spurgeon's book, He's dead. But speaking of glory, he's there. All right? But, I mean, he lived about 150 years ago. But still considered the prince of all Baptist preachers. Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes the little book, Jesus Came to Save Sinners, subtitle An Earnest Conversation with Those Who Long for Salvation and Eternal Life. If you ever get the book on page 33, he says this. He says, The Lord Jesus came to take away sin in three ways to remove the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. The Lord Jesus came to take away sin in three ways to remove the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. God's salvation deals with all aspects of sin. When he saves us, he removes the penalty. He removes the power. He removes the presence of sin. And up until this point, when we talk about that moment in which we believe and we are justified by God's grace and God covers our sin and he takes away our sin, quite honestly, all I've really talked about is the penalty of sin that God I was a sinner and God paid for my sin and he made it possible for me to spend eternity with him but Baptist people I don't want to talk this morning about justification or glorification I want to talk about sanctification that between conversion and heaven there is a work of salvation that God wants to do in my life in dealing with the power and the presence of sin. And I'm telling you, his salvation is complete. It's not that God said, hey, listen, I'm going to cover your sin and I'm going to pay for it. Now, Josh Lester, you know you're a sinner. I didn't mean to call you out, but yeah. Uh, I'm a sinner too. Now, Josh, I'm, I'm going to save you. I'm going to take care of your sin. And let me tell you, someday when you die... I'm going to take you to heaven now. You just do the best you can between conversion and heaven and just, you know, try to do the best you can, you know. Live the best life you can. I'm telling you that's not God's salvation. God not only deals with the penalty of our sin, but the power and the presence of sin. Our sin, our sin problem involves all of those things. Yes, in justification, God changes our outward standing with Him and He makes us right with Him. But God not only changes our outward standing with Him, but He also, in sanctification, changes our inward character. This is a part of His work of salvation. The reality is, is I committed sin, but the deeper problem is, I am a sinner! And it's one thing to stand in the courtroom of God and be Judge to be guilty and Jesus, our advocate, to come beside him and say, I'm, I'm going to pay for that. And to send me out of the courtroom a sinner just to go into sin some more? That's not God's salvation. God not only covered, removed the penalty of our sin, but the power and the presence of sin. And that is the work of salvation. Yes, I committed sin and God dealt with that. But the deeper reality is I am a sinner. And in God's salvation, he also deals with that. He does not leave me in my sin. Hmm. I've offered seven words to you in these last month or so, however long we've been preaching here. Of a summary of what Paul teaches in Romans. That God is a righteous God. That we fall short of His righteous standards. We sin. But in the midst of our sin, God comes to us in grace to initiate His work of salvation. When we respond in faith, it becomes the trigger that He justifies us. He makes us righteous according to His own standards by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. As we will talk about this morning, He sanctifies us. And as we will talk about next week, he glorifies us. Justify, sanctify, glorify. I'm kind of a systematic kind of thinker. And I want you to know in Romans 1 through 5, he deals with righteous God, sin, grace, faith, justify. Five chapters, Romans 1 through 5. I'm going to tell you today that we're going to be somewhere in the second half of Romans chapter 8. Next Sunday, and we're going to talk about being glorified. So, what I want you to think with me this morning is that Romans 6 7, and the first half of 8, Paul addresses without using the word sanctify between conversion and heaven. God is doing a work in our lives to deal with the sin problem because the reality is (laughs) even once we get saved we've got a sin problem because it's not just that I committed sins it is that I am a sinner and there is a process that God wants to lead us through that culminates in glory but starts the day it's saved and so I want to read I don't have particularly long this morning I want to read just some selective verses from Romans 6 7 and 8 and see what it was that Paul taught in salvation about sanctification yes without using the word Romans 6 and I want to read the first six verses interestingly enough it deals with baptism Paul says and let's just walk through this and I'm not gonna spend long this morning what shall we say then now he's just dealt with justification he's come to that point shall we continue in sin that grace may abound So once we get saved, should we just keep on sinning because God's grace is going to cover it? He's talking about the point between conversion and heaven. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, certainly not. And here's his point. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? There was a point At conversion, when we believed, and I was—I was gone to Africa. I don't know what Byron taught y'all about the whole belief thing, faith. I left him notes. Now, whether he related it the way I wanted it related, I don't know. I'm telling you, part of our faith is repentance. That says I am dying to my old life. It's not just that I believe in something, but I. It's not just I turn to something, but I turn away from something. I'm turning away from my sin. I repent of my sin. It's all wrapped up in that. I died to my old lifestyle. And Paul says that. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And he uses baptism as an illustration. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death the picture of baptism yes is being washed clean of our sin but it is also of being buried to an old life to be raised to walk in a new life verse 4 therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so, we should walk in newness of life. And I want you to get this. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Because we, we, in our experience, we walk through Christ's experience. And his, his experience included death on the cross, that we go to the cross. And his shed blood on the cross, his death pays for our sins. But there's more to the story of redemption and it's about the resurrection. So in verse 5 he says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Christ died and rose again. When we come to Christ, we die But it's not just that we die. It's that he starts the process of resurrection in our life that ultimately culminates in being glorified in heaven. Do you know what we're going to be like in heaven? But anyhow, the scripture says we will be like him. We will be like him. What was Jesus like? He died. and It wasn't just that Jesus died came back to life, but that he came back in a resurrected, transformed body, that 40 days later, when he ascended to heaven, he was already in his heavenly body. It's a very important truth of the resurrection. What is Paul teaching here then? God starts the resurrection process of us being transformed into the likeness of His Son, Romans 8:29 being conformed into the image of his son, he starts that at conversion. That is the process of sanctification that ultimately culminates. Now, are we ever in this world going to be like Christ completely? No. But someday when we are glorified, we will be like him. I'm telling you, part of the process of sanctification between conversion and heaven is us being transformed into the likeness of his son the resurrection process we died to sin but we're also being raised in resurrection and he's gonna talk about that later that's gonna be my final point baptism at the start of our journey with Christ after our conversion is a public declaration that we have died to sin it is a commitment that we make in those waters to say I am dying to an old life but it is a commitment as we come out of that water to say and I will live a new life in the power of the spirit as he begins to transform me in the likeness of his son that someday will culminate when you see me in glory that's why we put a robe on Vincent today I told him it to make him look like an angel okay we, "Brother, we're going to do all we can today. We're just going to put a robe on you. We're going to try to make you look like an angel. I don't know. It, you know. In, someday we're going to see Brother Vincent on the streets of gold, and it's going to be better than that white robe he wore that was from washed in the dingy Huntington water. You know. You know. I'm joking. We don't have dingy water, but no, it's going to be glorified." Ultimately, and Brother Vincent is on a trajectory to be like Christ. He said that. He wants to be the man that he needs to be for Christ, his family, and the church. He said, I'm pressing on. He's not going to make it in this life, but we want him to make progress. And someday, when he gets to heaven, he will be like Jesus baptism is the public declaration that we have died to sin and we have set our feet we have promised to walk the path towards resurrection of becoming like Jesus transformed like Jesus but there is a battle Romans 7 verse 18 the reality in this life there is a battle We have died to sin, but sin has not died. And our bodies were infected and ingrained with a sin nature, our old nature. And what Christ is doing is he is transforming us from that sin nature into a Christ nature. But it is a process, and so it is a battle. And Paul delineates this in some of uh, the most unique scripture that he ever writes. And really, quite honestly, Paul looks at a time that apart from the Spirit, he was trying to live for God but was not willing. But I think it captures that battle from conversion to heaven in which we are struggling to become like Christ. But there is a battle of the old nature and the Christ nature within us. Let me just read this. He says in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. Jesus said it this way. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, But sin that dwells in me, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now, Paul, actually there's more to this. I just read a, a sampling of it. He comes to this point in verse 24 and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What am I going to do? There is this struggle within me. I find no way out. His answer is in verse 25 I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is that God has an answer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will deliver me? Only Jesus could deliver me. How will Jesus deliver me? He answers that question in chapter 8. And he begins to talk about those who walk according to the Spirit. And here's the answer. Verse 5, Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is death is life and peace because the carnal the fleshly mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God Here it is in verse 9 but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit And what he means is you once lived in the flesh and all you could expect to do, chapter 7, was to sin. Because sin had infected every part of your being. What would you expect? But in the midst of that came the Spirit. And now you walk in the Spirit. So verse 9, but you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And so what the teaching of the Scripture is, at the point of conversion, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come to give us assurance of salvation, even though that's a part of it. He doesn't just come to to open the Scriptures to us. Here it is. The reason God gives us the Spirit at conversion is because he doesn't want to just save us from the sins we've committed he wants to save us from being a sinner. he wants to transform us and the purpose of the spirit dwelling inside of us is to change us in a trajectory that culminates in glory in being like him and I love the way he puts it Well, in verse 10, he says, And if Christ is is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, here it is. There's one verse. I know there's been a bunch of verses today. Verse 11. I love this. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. (laughs) No, he goes back to that resurrection thought of chapter 6, if the very Spirit of the One who was resurrected and transformed lives and abides in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He gives us the Spirit To transform us into the image of him who was raised, resurrected from the dead. The Spirit dwells inside of us to change us. Hear me. Christ's complete work of salvation includes justification sanctification and glorification when you got saved and you believed in Christ he covered the penalty of your sin and someday he's gonna take you to glory but I tell you that what Paul was teaching in these chapters is that you made a public declaration through baptism to say I am dying to an old life and I will live a new life and even though there is a struggle In Romans chapter 7, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the resurrected one, dwells inside of you, not just to give you assurance of salvation, but to transform you into the image of His Son. What I'm telling you today is so great a salvation that God would not only pay for the penalty of our sin, but He would come to change the sinner. It is God who is actively involved in your sanctification. He didn't save us and say, now try to live a good life until Jesus comes again or you die to go be with Him. That's not His salvation. That's not complete salvation. He came to change you to deal with sin in all of its aspects. The cross paid for our sin, but the resurrection gave us power over sin. So great a salvation that God would not only pay for our sin, but he would change a sinner like me and a sinner like you. And the question today is not so much do you know that you've been justified. The question today is not so much do you know someday you will be glorified. The question a is Christ's spirit changing you between your conversion and your entrance into heaven. God is working towards that end through His Spirit. If you will walk in the Spirit, He is moving in your life to transform you. Romans eight twenty nine. Into the image of his son. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Uh, this morning, as Brother Shane comes to lead us, uh, the altar is open. Uh, today, you may need to trust Christ as your Savior. Byron and I are at the front. We can talk with you. You can come to the altar to get with him all by yourself to surrender your life to Christ even as Vincent, Tiffany and Keeley testified of today. Um, For some you know you've been saved. You know you're going to heaven. The question is, is Christ changing you? What is what is he asking of you in that process of sanctification? to make you into the image of his son whatever it is we ask you to make a commitment to that today as we sing